This is not the hour of the time. You're listening to Failed State Update, and I am your host, Joseph L. Flatley. Uh, The reason I played that, that was the intro to a strange, really rather fascinating uh, shortwave radio show from the 90s. Uh, The host, William Cooper, was kind of a proto-Alex Jones, except, I don't know, Alex Jones just seems like a total con man, and this guy really believed what he was saying. His work was was a precursor to X-Files, precursor to Alex Jones. And the reason I played that clip first and foremost was because I think if William Cooper was alive now, he would certainly recognize what was going on in the streets in the time we lived in. But also, I, I want to make a point about the fact that in a situation as chaotic and unstructured as the one we're in now, a lot of people are going to be seeking wish fulfillment. And I don't mean wish fulfillment in a negative sense or some kind of Freudian sense. fact of the matter is we all have a dream, so to speak. We have a wish for a society that's fairer, more fair, and more equitable and more just, and this liminal space that's opened up by the chaos and confusion of mass sustained protest, one of the beauties of that is that it allows us to visualize and perhaps even create conditions that are more just if we stick, just stick to it long enough. But there's also uh, people with very lame dreams, lame wishes, your kind of Turner Diary, right-wing, lunatic variety. And they're also looking to take advantage of this to try to evoke their vision of a world, of a better world. And it doesn't help us at all to, to not be aware of that or to not recognize that that's happening. There's a certain point when you're involved in protest that you have to understand that this isn't math. It's not, one doesn't follow the other. I went out in the streets and got tear gassed and got my head beat in, so now the laws are going to change. You almost have to have faith, and you almost have to see it as a, a psychological or spiritual or some sort of ineffable task that you're that you're engaged in maybe radical social change is best described as alchemy or best described as ritual magic or 
fantasy come to life or science fiction. Whatever it is, it defies logic. Perhaps I'm not a good Marxist because I don't think progress is inevitable. I don't think that there are defined stages of societal development that that we we pass through in order to get to mythical workers paradise what drives us where our dreams go these things don't f- follow any logical plan that's why the alt right puts so much at least the mystical alt right puts so much stock in meme magic whether or not it works they think it works you know taking a Pepe the Frog, for instance, and making him the president. It's pretty scary stuff. It's bizarre stuff. And um, I think if we look at the current collapse of society circa the last week of May, first week of June 2020, we're going to see a lot of instances of this magical thinking. Love is the law. Love is the law. Hey, Mike, this is uh, Joe Flatley. How you doing? Good, good, good. Doing okay. Mike Rains is a podcaster who has devoted a lot of time to understanding the QAnon movement. His podcast is called Poker Politics. And it's definitely worth checking out if you want to get into the weeds, what's happening with QAnon. He has an article here somewhere, and I can't find it. Let's see. It is called Make a Whole New Religion, QAnon in the Age of Trump. It's available on Medium, and I will link to it, as well as his podcast in the show notes. QAnon, according to Wikipedia... It's a far-right conspiracy theory detailing a supposed secret plot by an alleged deep state against U.S. President Donald Trump and his supporters. The theory began with an October 2017 post on the anonymous image board 4chan by someone using the name Q, claiming to have access to classified information involving the Trump administration and its opponents in the United States. That was Wikipedia, and this is me talking now. Basically, what's going on is an individual or a group of individuals who refers to themselves as Q is just making all these crazy conspiracy theory claims and kind of a cult really has has grown up around this character. And when I say cult, I'm not being hyperbolic. One of the things that we've learned about human nature and about cults in the internet age is that 
a cult leader, a charismatic individual, a destructive cult leader doesn't have to be in the same room or the same town as somebody to manipulate them. What we used to think solely went on at Jonestown or Waco can happen in YouTube comment sections and over, uh, you know, over Zoom calls. So, so adherence to Q's posts, it's a, it's a bona fide movement, maybe a small or marginal movement, but a movement nonetheless. And it has implications, certainly, for what's going on politically in this country going forward. So without further ado, let's hear from Mike Rains, who will describe for us the cult of Q. So you had the satanic panic in the 80s and the 90s, and then from the from there it melded into the Illuminati New World Order stuff that was big for a long time in the nascent internet age, and then as the internet got big, and you had all these people talking about how entertainment, politics, everything is run by Satanists who are monsters and they're evil. And the thing about the Illuminati New World Order is that it's very depressing because when you find out that Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, and Obama are all Satanists, there's really nothing you can do about it except acknowledge that they're bad people and be angry and talk to your friends who know the truth and are angry too. Then QAnon stepped in and said, all that Illuminati New World Order stuff is true, but also Donald Trump is going to fight those people and defeat them and put them in jail. And I, Q, am the head of this military intelligence law enforcement operation that is working at the right hand of Trump to defeat all these bad guys and to restore order and decency to the world. So... What QAnon really is is just a good guy got put into the Illuminati New World Order mythos. It got put into that story to give these people like hope that all the people they hate and have been hating for so very long will finally uh, get what's coming to them. And so that is why Illuminati. That's why QAnon has been able to catch fire and become much more popular than the Illuminati New World Order stuff ever was. Because once you got into the Illuminati stuff, it was depressing. It was miserable. You were just gonna lose. Like you just basically had to pray to God to like step in. And there were a lot, even like uh, some of the people, like Vigilant Citizen and a call for an uprising. These guys that were Illuminati guys, they would like talk about how. Like these are the signs of the end time and how the Antichrist is going to come out and we're going to go through the tribulations and all that stuff. And then after all that happens, then God will step in and defeat them and save the world. So it was just like even the good news of that story was bad. Like you were going to have to go through the rise of the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff. So it was very bleak. But uh, QAnon says, oh, in a couple months, Trump's going to arrest all the bad guys and save the world. And that's way more exciting. That's way more fun to believe in that you're going to see justice. You're going to see victory. You're going to be on the on the winning side. I mean, you know, so I like I watched that that live stream of that woman who went to the protests in Pittsburgh. Um, I think I sent it to you. She was like going around asking looters if they were working for George Soros and all this yep. stuff. Yeah, they did loot some stores. They I didn't loot. We got the looters. Pallets of bricks, pallets of guns, pallets of cash. Who delivers pallets? Soros. And, and I trust the plan and I trust our POTUS. I'll tell you what. 
every time I start to get a little bit upset or worried, I gotta go get around parked? this guy. No, this guy's parked. <laughs> We're parked. <laughs> That's been like a constant mainstay of conspiracy theories. The idea that the system is going to create chaos, you know, like the bad guys are going to create chaos and use that chaos to take over. Um, you know, and it's kind of like, it's kind of brilliant because you can, because anytime anything happens in the world, it can be <laughs> interpreted through your lens as reinforcing your conspiracy theories. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, everything is proof that this centuries old, millennia old plot to take over the world uh, is about to be sprung. Like the trap is always about to be sprung. Um, there was basically like before I got like into uh, analyzing QAnon and watching what they were doing, I was an Illuminati New World Order tracker. And there was there was this one there's this one guy I followed uh, on YouTube called a call for an uprising who was a total lunatic. And he swore like just absolutely take it to the bank guaranteed that the um, March for Our Lives kids, uh, David Hogg and all those kids that were protesting the uh, gun violence. He said that those kids were being shown as intelligent, smart, like articulate children who were able to hold their own in the world as proof that the New World Order was grooming us to accept that children can accept sexual relationships and that in 2018, after the midterms, the first bill that was going to get run through Congress and passed into the law was going to like lower the age of consent to like 14. And to further prove this, he tried to he did this montage of like clips of smart kids in media. So like the smart nerdy kid in Modern Family was proof of the Illuminati's agenda to legalize pedophilia. Like nothing. Nothing goes too far beyond for these people to grab onto it and say, this this proves I'm right. This shows that this is what they're doing. This is their plan. They're just they're just endless. They're just endless. Nothing nothing escapes them that can they can possibly uh, scream about. They're always finding some new things to get outraged about. But yeah, kid in modern family, proof of the new world order. That's that's how they that's how they operate. And you know, when you put it like that, it's so hilarious but and interesting, but it's becomes problematic when you have uh, you know a whole like subset of people who can't see you know police anti-police brutality protests for what they really are oh it's yeah it's it's really unfair like it's just so sad that everything has to have layers everything has to have a hidden message to it these people spend their days trying to figure out what this event that's a very obvious very pure very simple event they got to find out what the underlying message of it is what's the real goal cuz nothing can ever be what it seems a cigar can never be a cigar to these people like i've read that uh, George Floyd um, was a porn star, that the real George Floyd died three years ago, that the cop who uh, killed him is actually the guy that did Cash Cab, and he's an actor. 
I'm not even joking. Yeah, I, I, I can't. The guy who did does did Cash Cab is going to be getting a lot of cool uh, DMs and uh, messages on Twitter and social media from complete lunatics. Um, one of the funniest things that I heard was uh, the car because they were near that police car when he was kneeling on his neck. Uh, someone said that the car, the license plate on the car says police, and that's not what the license plates say, so it's a false flag and it wasn't a real thing. But every Google search of a cop car in Minnesota I've come up with, all the cop cars say uh, police on the license plate. But they're always looking for this thing that will prove that this is all a lie. Uh, this morning, someone had video, and I assumed that it was earlier in the event, because the guy was kneeling on him for like eight minutes, according to all the reports, but someone was videotaping it like early in the event, and you can see the three cops just watching him do it, and he's kneeling on the guy, and the sidewalk is clear of people. The shot of the of the attack is from behind the video that we saw, and you hear this guy watching this video screaming, where are the people that are in front of him? Where are they? It's all bull... I'm sorry, if I can't swear, I apologize. But it was like, it's just, it's all a lie. You can see the, the sidewalk's empty. It's a flag. And, and oh, that view, that video is going through all the right wing uh, conspiracy people and QAnon like, like wildfire because anything they can grab onto to scream that we're lying about what's happening in the world and this, everything that we're seeing is fake and not, uh, and being manipulated by the media to scare us and to impose their agenda on us. They love it. They live for it. So that's all they care about. So basically there's like one particular person on 8chan and then 8kun who we've come to all just agree is the legit QAnon. Yeah, that there's the, that account is the account. Okay. And they're Q and everyone believes that and accepts it. Now, who's writing this stuff? Most people who've been following it think that the writer of Q has changed numerous times, and the current writer of Q is incredibly bad at their job. They are an absolute moron, and it is really funny watching QAnon deal with the fact that the guy doing the posts now is really bad. And it's because of that, that I believe that the guy doing the post is actually just Jim Watkins himself directly or his son, that they've stopped outsourcing the writing and they're just do it themselves. This chaos must, you know, that we're experiencing right now. I mean, nationwide curfew. I was told it was a nationwide curfew. I actually haven't seen the news article, so I might be spreading rumors, but I know in Pittsburgh, we've had curfews the last few days and, it's just nonstop, the helicopters flying overhead, and then the obvious, you know, protests and the backlash, the suppression of the protests by the police. Um, that all has to reinforce the QAnon fans, you know, QAnon believers' beliefs. You know, they see this and it's like, oh, Q was right, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. They, uh, they love all of this. They see uh, Trump, like, ordering the military around, and they pour through the Q drops because, again, those first three few Q drops 
were about this kind of thing. Like Q Drop One that was talking about Hillary Clinton being arrested, at the bottom of it, it says, like, to confirm that I'm telling you the truth, like, talk to someone in the National Guard and they will tell you they have been called up. And of course, that wasn't true. But, like, this is the kind of thing that, like, they've always been about. And they're going through these, like, two, two and a half year old Q Drops saying, like, uh, National Guard call ups, protests in the streets, Soros funded insurgencies, all this kind of stuff. And they're like, this is the truth. This is when it's going to happen now. We're actually seeing it. This is like the, and they always talk about it in this sense that like, this is their last attack. This is the last gasp of the deep state before we win. Like before COVID was the last gasp. Now uh, these protests are the last gasp. And when these protests hopefully get resolved and hopefully, I mean, I have no faith in the whole COVID thing, but hopefully when we're at some sort of like uh, equilibrium with uh, COVID, then they're going to say, well, Biden winning the election is their last stand. Like they're just going to keep coming up with the new last stand that if we can just get through this, then we can arrest all the bad guys. If we can just get through this one, then we're going to win. And it's what you said before about the uh, the end times preacher saying the world's going to end on Thursday and then it doesn't end and how that all works out. There's a great book about that called uh, When Prophecy Fails. And that book shows that like when these guys get it wrong – the group that follows them will just generally double down on it. They'll just like be more convinced that the next deadline will be the true one and that they don't actually break and give up when they find out that the, um, the guy telling them that the world was going to end was wrong. So QAnon followers, I don't like, what's a term? Is there a term for that? Like, uh, the, the nomenclature that I use when I talk online is Q is the leader of the group and QAnon is the followers of the group. So you, you clearly think that the guy who owns 8 Coon is doing these? Is that your kind of prevalent yeah. theory? Um, yeah. And um, which makes sense because that's where the posts are originating from. Um, and what's in it for him? Do they have ads on the site? You know, like, yeah. is that, I mean, is it that simple like yeah it, yeah it drives traffic to the site he's got ads on the site yeah he literally uh started a uh a pack he basically started a q pack i can't even remember what the name of it was but like he started a q pack and he made this cheesy animated video uh, to yell at the Democrat who made him testify before Congress about uh, 8chan uh, back when the mass shootings happened. And he uh, he kept the site offline and then rebranded it and then got it back online. But uh, he it's for him, it's just a, a way to get notoriety for the site. It's I mean, because the site is so terrible uh, and it's all like all these weird niche fetishes and Internet culture craziness. That really, eight eight uh, most mainstream thing. The people that most people would know about that wouldn't be like just horrifically offensive at first blush would be Q. Because like if you think of Q as just like Donald Trump is fighting corruption and like it, good guys versus bad guys kind of thing, you might be like, oh, it's that internet thing with the Q guy, right? It's like, but everything else on Q is either a weird fetish like lolly porn or diaper porn, or it's just outright like hatred and racism. So like really Q is probably the most like mainstream kind of friendly thing out there that Jim really has on his website. And and it's yeah, it really does say a lot about how terrible Aid Kun is that like this is the nature of it. 
I can't tell how influential Q is beyond certain candidates thinking that it's in their favor to like reference Q. I mean, it's like, would you say that this is like a sincere political movement or is it more just like a signifier that these kind of people have, you know, that are in this cult? Uh, I think that some of the candidates who are running are like probably honest in their beliefs about Q like uh, Joe Ray Perkins, I believe that's her name, the woman who won the Republican nomination to run for Senate in Oregon. Like uh, her staff like came out and said, she doesn't really believe in Q. And then like she came out and said, no, I do. I really do believe in it. Shut up. And that was like, obviously like she really buys into this kind of stuff. And I think some of these other people do buy into it. Uh, Laura Loomer is running in Florida. I think there's another Q guy running in Florida for a house seat in the same primary with her. I think... I don't know if Laura's really in on QAnon, but I know that she's a grifter who knows attention is good. So, like, she could be a little bit more calculating about this. But, like, when it comes to Trump, I really think that he probably doesn't have that great of a handle on what it is. But he's retweeted QAnon accounts, like, 30, 40, 50 times at this point. It's it's really ridiculous how many times he's uh, signal boosted them. And I think it really kind of comes from uh, Dan Scavino, his, uh, one of his social media guys. Scavino has no problem trafficking with Q and grabbing memes by QAnon and posting them and uh, really inciting those people. And there was a, there was a meme you probably saw that Trump retweeted where he was like playing a fiddle and everyone online was like, Oh my God, Trump's calling himself Nero. Like what an idiot. This is such a dumb political move. This looks so bad. But, uh, what it really was, was he's playing a fiddle and the caption was, I call this next piece. Nobody can stop what is coming. And that is one of Q's mantras. Nobody can stop what is coming or nothing can stop what is coming. And, they love and like for like for everybody else, like for like the rest of the real world who were all laughing at this Trump Nero thing, they didn't get that this was actually a signal to like his lunatic hardcore supporter QAnon base who like just eat this up like catnip whenever Trump gives them a rub on the head and tells them they're doing a good job. Like I mean, so that was really like weird and scary that like Trump did that. And he uh, retreated a guy, uh, Incarnated E.T. was his original account. He's been literally suspended from Twitter uh, 17 times. His current name is Inevitable E.T. And he retweeted that guy. And that guy is a vicious anti-Semite. And it's just like, man, it's like the people that he's like signal boosting are such bad people. And this movement is such a terrible movement. But it's obvious that they think that uh, dog whistling to these people is a viable campaign strategy because they know that no one in QAnon is going to not vote in November. I mean, these people are voting to save the world. Like if you like Q is upping the stakes right now, which I think is a very obvious sign of uh, manipulation because for two years, Q had just been like telling us that we're going to win. That I'm, I'm dunking the fo- I'm dunking the basketball on these guys. I'm crushing them. We're it's it's all over. Recently, Q has like freaked out. Like Q posted a recent Q drop that was like, "We rise or we die," 
and like other stuff like that. Like Q has gone from being like hyper confident, assured of victory that this thing's in the bag to being like, Oh my God, guys, like the cabal's throwing everything they got at us. And if we don't uh, get moving, we could be in trouble and we could lose everything. And like that mentality is obviously like ginning people up to be really motivated to maybe do stupid things during these protests, but also like in a lesser sense, you're going to vote in November because if, if Q tells you that we got to do this or it's all over and the, and the the people who eat children are going to win, you, you go out and you do it. Uh, yeah. I just looked it up. Uh, Q drop forty three twenty five. The future of our republic is at stake. Survival as a nation. We rise or we die. We the people. I mean, like he is really laying it on thick that, like, this is it. We've we got to get this or we're done. So, I mean, I can totally see where even if the number of people that follow QAnon is like a half million people or less or whatever, but just having that group of people just totally agitated and working on social media all the time and yelling at their friends and just trying to find people to listen to them about this kind of stuff. I can see how they would think that that would be a real good thing to have in their back pocket for a campaign. What kind of influence does Q have, or maybe it's better said, what kind of crossover does the QAnon movement have with like the Boogaloo boys or the alt-right uh, there's a lot. I mean, those groups are all kind of a crossover in a way. I mean, when you ascribe to like the kind of anti-government mentality of like the three percent and the Oath Keepers and the Boogaloo Boys and all that kind of stuff, it's really not that hard to um, have to. You just do the quick mental gymnastics where you do government bad, Trump good, and that gets you where you need to be where you can basically be in favor of like this kind of authoritarian Trump regime, but you're doing it out of a necessity. You're doing it because the government was so bad beforehand that it needs a good purging before we can get back to a honest, noble, representative democracy. And so like it's it's the destroying burn the village to save the village kind of thing. I mean, it sounds like the world has lost it. (laughs) That's absolutely true. You know, it it sounds like it's all over. We're like, you know, (laughs) nothing better to do but like Uh, talk about these crazy people because it's... I think Q is so much more serious than people think it is because the mainstream media and a lot of people have really kind of like pigeonholed these people as the weirdos who think the JFK Jr. is alive and that kind of stuff. And it gives them this kind of like weird, silly vibe to it. But like when you really look at what these people are talking about, it's really dark. It's really grim. And uh, I'll kind of finish on this point is that what you said earlier about how you can't falsify the whole New World Order Illuminati, the bad guys secretly rule the world kind of thing. Like that part of it will always exist. Like you'll always have people that believe the worst of uh, Bill Gates, George Soros, and everyone in Hollywood and all the politicians. You'll always have that. But what the problem with QAnon is that Trump being the guy to save the world is falsifiable. And if he loses in November, or even if he wins when he doesn't save the world and he leaves office, you're going to have these people 
who believe in all the bad stuff and then they saw the good thing didn't happen. And that's really dangerous because now those people have had their hope taken away from them. And what are they going to do? And I honestly think that we are going to see like small scale civil unrest if Biden wins this election. I think that there's going to be people that are just not going to be able to handle it because uh, they've they've already been convinced that Trump is an overwhelmingly popular person, that he would win in a landslide in a fair election. So if he loses, the election was stolen by the deep state. It was unfair. It was unjust. And now the bad people are going to put us in FEMA death camps. So I better grab my AR-15 and save the world. And that's that's like really what I think the end game of all this is. And that's why it's like so important to talk about it. About four days ago, uh, Saturday, a uh, Google doc started going around activist circles. The author appears to be a, an organizer in Minneapolis. Uh, it, it was called Getting Ready, Our Role Tonight. And what this document did was uh, draw attention to uh, the fact that right-wing extremists seem to be seem to have a sort of campaign to create chaos in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. The term that academics and people that study this kind of thing use to describe this kind of tactic is called accelerationism. The idea is that these groups want to get their aims of a whatever the aim may be, a revolution, a civil war, a white ethno-state, um, and they believe the way to do that is to just create chaos, just overall chaos. They're using chaos as a tactic. Um, in fact, there's like a bizarre internet version of this. They, they call it the Boogaloo. Boogaloo is the term for Civil War 2.0. People who believe in this sort of thing call themselves Boogaloo Boys. And, you know, there are various, you know, various instances of things happening all over the country where where it's just suspected or it feels likely or it seems likely that there's an agent provocateur, that, you know, that this wasn't grassroots organic activity, that this was coming from somebody who had a desire to bring on the Boogaloo, as they say. Another interesting doc that I'm looking at here is a... Uh, it was a newsletter called Global Gorillas or Global Gorilla Report. This this uh, John Robb guy who seems to be kind of like a libertarian type dude, um, and uh, you know he's promoting the idea in his newsletter, and he's quoting from somebody who said forty percent of the crowds that he witnessed firsthand protesting in Raleigh, North Carolina, were Antifa, and that Antifa were also enacting this accelerationist role. So it's like, it's coming, what I'm getting at is it's coming from all over. Everybody thinks that there's some unseen hand directing things behind all these protests. And obviously, QAnon folk think that it's George Soros. So I wanted to get to the bottom of this, so I had a conversation just an hour ago with C.V. Vitolo Haddad, a researcher at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And in addition to being an academic, she's an activist, and she was on the ground in Minneapolis. And she has some insight into what's been going on there for the last few days, as well as whether or not there is the unseen hand of 
the right wing conspiracy is behind it all. been in two cities now. Um, I spent uh, the kind of first part of things in Minneapolis, uh, and then the the second part of things here in Madison, Wisconsin, which is uh, my home. Are you seeing like, um, were you seeing in Minneapolis, and now are you seeing in Madison, like, Second Amendment guys, or, you know, is is, is the uh, is the right wing well represented in, while these protests are happening, or is it just more here and there, one, two here and there? Um, so I would say it's kind of a mix. And what I've seen on the ground and what I've seen um, kind of like in tracking and research are are overlapping, um, but a little bit different, because obviously when you're on the ground, it's hard to know exactly who someone is and you know unless you can identify them immediately even people who have on certain patches or kind of are making declarations of affiliation aren't always being forthcoming um but in terms of the people who i i can safely identify because i know who they are um especially here in town we definitely have seen a, a good bit of uh, kind of like second amendment rights activists and militias that are very much focused on first and second amendment protections and whose scope and politics don't really exceed that very much. You know, they're, they're kind of very focused on only those things. Um, and then we've also seen groups, militias, and also just voluntary organizations like the Proud Boys um, and and others kind of in that general area um, and ideological area who are definitely, you know, pro First and Second Amendment, but whose politics then also go on to be about, you know, um, border militarization and, you know, who have very specific ideas of what they think that the government should do beyond not infringing on on people's rights to own firearms or or to speak freely. Uh, And so, you know, I would say that those are the two groups that I've seen with my own two eyes on on the ground. Um, And then there are also other kind of right wing or right aligned actors out there who we've seen, you know, who have proclaimed that they're there on social media, who we've seen talking about going or who we've seen talking about producing propaganda that will alter kind of how people are framing um, the presence of right wingers in general at protests. You know, I guess the big, the main concern is that you know, the accelerationist groups will act as provocateurs and encourage, you know, arson or rioting or something. Um, are you ha- seeing any of that or is it hard to tell what exactly is the cause of specific incidents? Um, so I would split the accelerationists into two groups. Um, the first group are the people who this is kind of like the Vox model of accelerationism. If you if you're familiar, you know, if people have read the article that Vox released on accelerationism, which is very much, you know, kind of a more classic idea of accelerationism, which is, you know, we have to locate the contradictions between the way that things are and the way that things are professed to be. And we have to really amplify those things. So, for example, um, you know, we need to show that things 
things are really, really bad by, you know, like you said, arson, breaking windows, by really hyping up the conflict and making it come to a head because the conflict is already there and it's just a matter of whether or not we can force it to you know, become basically explosive or whether we, or not we can we can force it into open war where people pick sides and, and, a, and a prolonged armed fight happens. So that's one category. And you definitely see those people out there. Um, you see it like pr- there have been several instances over the nights I've been out where you see uh, people who are like predominantly white people, which I, I point out because it's kind of important context to, to the relational dynamic that comes out on the ground, um, you know, breaking windows and kind of like having black community members being like, don't do that, right? Like, don't start getting violent, getting destructive because the National Guard is going to like come in, right? The police are going to come in, they're going to tear gas us, they're going to use rubber bullets if we don't keep things peaceful. So please don't create an, an incentive or an excuse for them to come in um, and arrest us or repress us or, or injure us in any way. Um, and those people being like, no, I'm going to do it. And then getting into fights about it um, and creating a situation that's really, really unsafe and likely to provoke that kind of conflict. So you see kind of that mentality pretty often. Um, The second set of accelerationists are the ones that are harder to identify because they operate primarily through infiltration tactics and they don't readily announce who they are. Um, And these are people who believe that in order to accelerate um, into... So to to back up a little bit, they they view time as as kind of a loop. And the idea is that we're at a low point in that loop, right, where we're being highly repressed, where things are degrading, and that in order for us to reach that high point again, we have to kind of force time back through the continuum. Um, and, and so to them, it's about removing people's civil liberties is a really effective way to make everyone, as they see it, like wake up to the way that things are. And so they're kind of like the mirror image of the Second Amendment activists in that they want Second Amendment rights to be taken away to provoke those people into conflict. Um, And, you know, it's hard to say, oh, yeah, I've definitely seen those people out because, again, they don't readily announce their intention. But you do see them talk about, you know, in their own private channels and networks talking about how to best provoke that conflict and to, you know, impersonate left wingers, right wingers, right, impersonate police. They don't really care. Um, They just want to make sure that a particular, you know, to, to, they just want to make sure that repression happens so that repression escalates the conflict. And when you talk about time in a loop, are you talking about like Savitri, Devi, esoteric Nazism type stuff? Is that where that comes from? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, you see a lot of these memes that are like, we got to surf the Kali Yuga. That That is a lot of that crowd. Um, and they are, you know, kind of traditionalists with a capital T um, who do believe in, you know, like you mentioned, a very esoteric, um, a lot of times like an esoteric Hitlerist or esoteric Nazism um, or some other terms that maybe I I won't get into uh, right now. But yeah, that's definitely the the miasma of people I'm talking about there. Yeah. And is that, is that, you know, strain of right, ultra right wing thinking, becoming more prevalent like you know like just with the internet and you know groups like boogaloo boys and things that are just like kind of esoteric and absurd as opposed to like you know maybe your father's racism which was more you know conservative i guess or traditional you know like is that something that we're seeing more of 
Definitely. You know, I think your 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 dad and your grandpa's racism is very much couched in a some kind of a, an understanding of a white community that still exists, you know, like with the KKK, whether or not that's like couched in Christianity, right? There is a, a metaphysical or a spiritual element to it, um, whether that is religion or whether that is just kind of this ethereal understanding of like us, you know, like our community, this is who we are. Um, but as that kind of breaks down for younger and younger generations, um, you definitely see them move towards a like, you know, Christianity is cucked. Um, and so we need a new esoteric understanding of the world. And, and it also, you see a lot of the, like, we are even beyond, you know, the rationalism that you see with people like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, where it's like, I am a rational thinking white man and I will debate you. These people are like, we are past debate, right? Like we are in, we are enlightening ourselves to a level where those kinds of things are no longer necessary. Um, and that we find our enlightenment through this spiritual journey that we've gone on. Um, and through our process of essentially like, self-mutilation, emotional self-mutilation, um, where it's about reducing your empathy towards people who are not part of this kind of small, um, subset of people, right? Like uh, you hear them talk about kind of like this kindred code that they share, um, and that people outside of that are not warranting of understanding. They're not warranting of empathy. Um, and in fact, you should loathe them and you should feel, hostility towards them at all time. You shouldn't trust them. You shouldn't do anything for them. Uh, and so they definitely have created this sense of like enlightenment that cuts them off from everyone else and morally and spiritually authorizes a set of tactics that would to anyone else, right? Like be really messed up, right? Like these ideas of deception and acceleration through um, lying to people about who you are and through infiltrating groups like the Boogaloo Boys, for example, you know, like you do still have some that are just pretty much straight up Christian militias, um, but infiltrating those groups and trying to find the vulnerable members to bring them into their occult understanding. Um, so yeah, you definitely do see uh, a difference between, you know, your dad and grandpa's racism and like these occult folks. And, it, and I would say it is definitely taking some root. And I'm sorry, I know I've been talking a long time, but um, but you know, one of the ways that they are kind of catching on is like the the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, right? Like, whatever you think of them, they do have this kind of dissident affect to them. And I, this isn't just them. There are plenty of people on the left who carry a, a kind of real dissident affect. And what I mean by affect here is, like, we are outsiders, and we feel really comfortable with that, and we understand that we make other people uncomfortable, but that's because they don't understand what we do, right? And I get that. I mean, I feel that way plenty of the time, too, um, you know, where, like, there's a certain amount of pride and edginess and pride in making the normies uncomfortable, and that is an incredible uh, kind of like discursive atmosphere for the occultists to operate in because they can introduce their stuff, you know, like introduce their iconography, you know, introduce things like the Kali Yuga into those communities. And if you try to tell them like, hey, you're getting conned, it's like, I'm absolutely not, right? Like nobody wants to hear that the thing that they believe isn't real. And so people will really kind of shut down and dig their heels in to this stuff that they are, you know, putting up on their Facebooks or, or, you know, having profile pictures or buying patches of and put on their uniforms. And so for the occultists, making themselves more mainstream by attaching their iconography 
in a really subtle way. So like, for example, like the chaos arrows are a good example. You know, it's like a symbol that almost nobody recognizes. Um, but then they'll put it on propaganda that looks completely innocuous other than that, right? Like no other connection to them, no ideological connection, no mention of who they are other than that. And then, you know, now you start to see that same chaos arrow symbol in other places and you're like, oh, I know that. I know that because they pr- they put all this good propaganda out about this stuff I care about or this stuff I agree with. So let me gravitate towards that. Um, and so they have been pretty successful in kind of co-opting a lot of different extremist modes of propaganda, aesthetics that people use and, and attaching themselves to it and then using that to draw people in. I think the big fear here is that... Um this is you know these these protests that are happening right now is providing an opportunity to for these actors to kind of like get off of the internet and engage in the real world in a real sustained way as opposed to just like you know what whatever they've been doing on the internet for the last several years is that is there evidence that that's happening um there's definitely a lot of evidence that that is happening Um, and I would say that that's true between you and I, I mean, I hate to tell them this, but like, I think it's not a good strategy for them, uh, given that they operate, because I think that the, the Kairos, right? Like the, the presence and the exigency of the moment, um, so far surpasses what they're able to control. Like they've, I think are, are very good discursive actors, not morally good, but effective. Um, and for that reason, they've had a lot of success, um, controlling narratives around mass shootings that come out of nowhere that are a complete shock, right? So like Christchurch um, or like, uh, shoot, what's the other, the Gilroy Garlic Festival, right? Like there are other examples um, or the one in uh, Germany recently, you know, they're very good at being like the terror can happen anytime, anywhere, right? So like be afraid because you never know when we are coming and when destruction will happen. So, like, what are you going to do other than take all our guns away, right? Like, they're very good at that messaging. But right now, it's like, the violence doesn't shock anyone right now, you know? Like, the terror of it is so omnipresent and so tied to the conflict between the government um, and black communities. And even for the Boogaloo Boys, the government and all political dissidents that, you know— between you and me and everyone listening to this podcast, I guess, um, I don't think that that's the best strategy that they could be using, but they definitely are trying. And you see in their channels, like, this is it, boys, right? Like, buckle up, civil war is on. Um, But I have a little faith in our capacity to, uh, you know, articulate why we're out here, you know, why the, why it is necessary for us to be, you know, rioting, resisting, et cetera, in the way that we are, um, because of police brutality, because of the damage done to black communities, uh, over time, economically, not just, you know, healthcare wise, school, education, lots of different things. Um, so yeah, so, but they definitely are. And, you know, if you look at their channels, you see them saying shit like, like, let's go, let's just show up and kill a bunch of people. And you saw, you know, someone say something like, you know, if we went to Minneapolis tonight and just like killed a bunch of people, probably no one would catch us um and then like the next day you get reports that there are white supremacists in minneapolis and st paul's just like shooting out of their cars um so you know like is that them i suppose i can't confirm that but i think that when they post that stuff their hope is that it will go that way um whether or not you know that is i I doubt it's the same person posting it and carrying it out because that would just be a spectacularly dumb way to get arrested um but you definitely do see them pushing for 
arbitrary violence to to continue to incite terror. Um, but you know, the police and National Guard are really doing all the incitement of terror that that and way beyond what they would be capable of right now, anyway. So you know. Yeah, and and you know, and I wonder if there's a danger in that in um, attributing too much power to these right wing non state actors and um, kind of letting the system, the state off the hook a little bit. Yeah, for sure. You know, and like I have all of us who have been working on accelerationism since early 2019 when nobody wanted to take it seriously and nobody wanted to listen, you know, um, all of us have been trying to get people to to see it as more than it is for so long. And now it's weird to be on the other side of it where it's like, okay, now everyone wants to take it seriously all of a sudden. Um, and very much for that reason of like, oh, it's the accelerationist driving this rather than like, no, this is just legitimately what happens when police keep killing black people, right? Like a lot of this is just organic community resistance, um, which is not to say none of it is the accelerationist. I obviously don't believe that for a second, um, but it is kind of weird to have now been on both sides where it's like, please take this seriously. Please treat this as the threat it is. And then like, okay, well, let's not make it, a, let's not overdetermine yeah. everything. <laughs> right. You know, it's just the point you made can't be said enough that, you know, it's, these are com organic community events in a lot of ways, and they have their own rhythm or their own, they're going to go where they go. Like our incident in Pittsburgh was, you know, we've been having sustained protests since Saturday. And the first one on Saturday, like, you know, there was some like some sort of dirty tricks. Somehow magically a, a police car was left unattended on the, the March route and there were no police around. So like, one guy started trashing the car, you know, like one person in black block garb started trashing the car and then got everybody into it. And it turned into a riot and, um, or, you know, turned into looting or whatever. And, um, and that's an example of like, you know, people were afraid, you know, before they knew the identity of this kid, people were afraid, you know, was it right wing? Was it a, a police Did they concoct something? Is this how it's going to be going for, you know, in the near future like is this are are we hopeless to protest because they're always going to be turned into riots and then very quickly the various activists and organizers in charge of the protests kind of like figured out what to do and we've had peaceful protests large disruptive protests i'm very proud of over the last week you know and all the violence coming from the cops so it, that just tells me you know that like our worst fears maybe aren't necessarily being borne out at this time. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, what I saw in, in both places, you know, the reason why I went to Minneapolis is because for five years in Madison, the protests here have been uh, what one of my peers has fondly referred to as baby stroller walkathons, you know, like the least disruptive protests you can imagine, right? Like the last big protest we had was Act 10, and those were pretty mild, right? Like there was no rioting involved. Scott Walker didn't change his mind about a dang thing, you know, like they weren't very successful. Um, but those were the biggest protests we've had in, you know, 10 years. And and we walk away for one, you know, one weekend and Madison starts burning cop cars. And we were like, what is happening, you know? Um, but, you know, both in Minneapolis and in Madison, what we've been seeing is like overwhelmingly the community is like, 
we don't want to do this, right? Like, we are not, like, breaking all the shit, burning all the shit down is actually, like, not what we want. But if that's what we have to do to, like, preserve our community and to preserve our lives, we will. But, like, that's not really the goal. And so, you know, there were the first initial days of, of rioting and stuff that made sense, right? Like, burning down the police precinct because you won't, you know, indict your officers. Like, okay, I get, you know, that makes sense. But, but a lot of the like wanton destruction that like, you know, was kind of random and just motivated by like overwhelming grief, you know, like that grief was able to be, you know, the community was able to come together to mourn, to start to manage that grief. And then to be like, okay, now how do we make this the most productive destruction or the most productive disruption rather than, you know, kind of like indiscriminately disruptive. And so, Everywhere I've been has been really about how do we turn these protests into something actionable um, and, like you said, to kind of make them as peaceful as is possible. And And one thing that is making it really, really hard to keep them peaceful is you have the cops just terrorizing people all night, all night. And that makes it so hard to be peaceful because it's like it creates this atmosphere where you'll be there and and people will just be sitting vigil, right? Like sitting vigil at um, a memorial site, um, for example, was one of the places where we were doing medic work. Um, And everyone's kind of sitting in a circle and everything's fine. And then you'll get a helicopter that like will fly in low out of nowhere. And then you'll hear sirens and they'll drive around the block. So it's coming from all directions. And then you see these national guard vehicles that'll like get close and pull up. And then everyone's instinct is like, do we run? Do we scatter? Right? Like it causes this panic. And it's like, you can't sit down, right? Like you can't panic. Cause if you panic, that's when they come in because they see, because now it's chaos, right? And now it needs to be controlled. Um, and so a lot of the like actual damage that we've been seeing happen in like the last four or five days after kind of the initial wave of, of grief and anger um, subsided was from people who are literally just reacting out of terror from what the cops are doing. And just like who have been, you know, hit with several rubber bullets at this point have been tear gassed a dozen times and are just scared like they don't want it to keep happening and so they start panicking um and so yeah you know a lot of the violence really is being driven by this constant state of terror that people are being kept in um you know largely as a result of these curfews that make people who who do want to keep as much peace as possible right like i do believe in the like there won't be any peace until there is justice like that is something i believe in but people who want to make sure that we're keeping the peace within our communities within ourselves no longer feel comfortable coming out because just by coming out, they've committed a crime and now they might go to jail. Um, and so the curfews and the, and kind of the police tactics have been really destructive and really motivating a lot of chaos. Thank you for listening to the latest installment of failed state update. I am Joseph L. Flatley. You can uh, subscribe to the show on any any one of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, please sign up for my newsletter, LennyFlatley.substack.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Lenny Flatley. Um, if you want to check out my other podcast, The So-Called Prophet from Pittsburgh, you can get to that through my website, LennyFlatley.net. <laughs>